HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food, where people working in and around K-12 food service get together to talk about progressive solutions that really work. I'm Laura Stanley. Um, today we're going to be talking um, about professional development for cafeteria staff. This is a critical growth area for school food right now, as districts tackle the challenges involved in meeting the new requirements for fruits and vegetables, whole grains, and lower sodium. I recently returned from the School Nutrition Association's um, annual national conference in Boston, where I heard so much talk about real cooking in school kitchens. Um, And while SFAs remain dependent on packaged and boxed oven-type products, it is really exciting to see the effort that most districts are making to replace at least some of that food with fresh food prepared from scratch, even fresh, by which I mean raw meat and poultry, which is really wow. Um, Of course, there was also much discussion of training for school nutrition workers at all levels that will be required under a new rule still under development by FNS. If you are a school food service director or if you work under one, this is certainly on your radar right now. Um, Inside School Food will keep you up to date on the progress of that proposed rule. But in the meantime, I am honored to introduce today uh, the Ahead of the Curve Boot Camp uh, that the Maryland State Department of Education has developed for cafeteria workers um, across the state. I attended a session about it when I was in Boston, and, well, it was just so inspiring and really fun to hear how this program has motivated and empowered its participants to throw themselves into affecting change back home. So we will be visiting with three boot camp leaders, starting with Stuart Idell, who heads up the project statewide. After station break, we'll speak with two folks from Washington County, Maryland, Jeffrey Prue, who is supervisor of food and nutrition services for the whole region, um, that's Washington County, and Becky Anderson, who's cafeteria manager for Smithburg Public Schools. So, Stu, good morning. 
Good morning. How are you, Laura? I'm all right. Um, Good. So you you do a lot of things. Uh, You lead your agency's effort in farm to school, wellness policy, food safety, and training. Um, And you also lead and manage the uh, Maryland's three team nutrition grants, which we'll talk about shortly. And you're another Culinary Institute of America alum. You may not know this, but we appear to be racking up a very impressive collection of folks from CIA here at Inside School Foods. So it's pretty exciting to see so many classically trained chefs doing progressive work in our schools. So to set the stage, can you tell us how the SFAs are organized in Maryland? It's one per county, right? That's correct. It's uh, a little different than many states, but in Maryland we have 24 counties and therefore 24 SFAs. In some states, like Pennsylvania, they will be organized by the local school district. Our districts just happen to be larger. Uh, Our school districts range in size, though, from anywhere from eight schools to 208 schools. So we have some of the largest. Montgomery County is one of the largest in the country in uh, uh, school nutrition programs. And so it's that variety that is really unique in Maryland. But the small size makes Maryland the perfect incubator for projects like this, where I can develop relationship with my team, with each of the school food service directors, and get to know them and understand some of the challenges they face in running their programs. Right. Because obviously there's, there's lots of challenges, not just the, the food quality. There's all the administrative pieces and everything that's involved. Right. So just just for listeners who are not familiar with how SFAs are organized in other states, you mentioned Pennsylvania. How many SFAs in Pennsylvania in contrast to Maryland? Oh, I think they have about 1,300. Right. So it's a huge difference. Right, right. So when you say um, an ideal incubator, it means that you really do have that, that level of contact with people in charge in every one of your, your districts. Um, are That's you, now Right now in the boot camps, are you training food service workers from every one of those FSAs? Uh, I think we hit, of the 24, I think we hit 22 this year that were able to send folks. So almost everyone. But even more interesting, we're not only covering the public school food service folks, but we're training folks that reside in and run the residential child care institutions Mm -hmm. and the nonprofit private schools. Right, right. That's kind of unique. So and how many years have you been running the program now? Uh, This is the third year. If you're going to call it official program, probably the second. But it's been in... uh, development mode for about four years. Right. So how many people have you trained to date? Oh, to date, we train about 125 years. We've trained about 400 or so people in this specific area. But that's just the training we conduct. Part of this boot camp is that the folks that attend our training are trained on how to train, and then they go back, and there's a ripple effect on the type of training they do within their school system. Right. And so you call that train the trainer, and that's that's pretty central. That's 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 the, the core of what you do. Um, so, so looking at that, in, in doing these, uh, I, I, should, I should backtrack and, and ask you, um, how many are you, you're doing these in the summer, right? Actually, uh, on Friday, we finished our last one. We did seven this summer in seven different locations uh, across the state. Right, and you're doing a lot of those at the same time, aren't you? Yeah, actually, this year, for the first time, we doubled up, so we actually had teams uh, running them in two school system or locations at the same time over right. a couple of weeks. Right, and there's a lot of moving parts, which we'll talk about, but let, let, let's just talk about, like, what, so you're working, every one of these boot camps is, is something like 20 people, right? 20, yes, we're people. set up for to train 25, the average uh, size is 20. Right, and, and what goals do you set out with? 
Well, that's that's interesting because part of this boot camp is to teach folks how to train. And as a trainer and been uh, you know trained on how to educate and how to train folks as well as as a chef, the first thing we ask is, well, what do I want someone to know or be able to do after they leave this program? Mm-hmm. So that's where we started. We really said, what do we want them to be able to know or do? And in this case, we set up three goals, three formal goals. The first is we want them to be able to maximize the quality of food served in the school nutrition program. Just maximize quality. Look at every component from the way it's purchased to the way it's stored, handled, presented, and then served to the folks. Mm -hmm. That was the first primary goal. The second was to increase the skills of the participants and their knowledge on effective training when it comes to food preparation, food preparation techniques. And then the last is uh, really focused on how to enhance and um, uh, increase their knowledge when it comes to actually the planning of the food production. A lot goes on in school nutrition programs, and you might have two or three employees working in a school cafeteria that serve 500 meals. So how do we do scratch cooking with that type of uh, ratio? It's it's nearly impossible if we continue doing business the way we've done business. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the actual techniques they're using, the planning and the forecasting and the actually production of the product, then they can really make some changes that uh, can impact the quality in a positive way. So you're really asking people to professionalize it in a big way for an institutional setting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then another goal, of course, is this training, the training piece. You're, you're teaching people how to communicate what they're learning to their peers, right? Yeah. I mean, think about it. You know a lot of school nutrition folks, and I do, and, and most of them aren't people who would get in front of a large group and conduct a training. Mm-hmm. not their comfort zone. They're, they just have never been trained in it. So we felt that uh, the only way to make them comfortable was to integrate within the five-day curriculum an opportunity for them to do training every single day, and including at the end of the boot camp, they conduct a formal training in front of the whole group on a a subject matter uh, that they learned during the boot camp. So they're actually training one another on what they've learned in their. In their so you, you break out the group into little groups, and the groups train each other. Yes, yeah. they uh, actually at the very end, the last class, um, they actually conduct a training. Their team, there's uh, four or five teams depending on the project size. Uh, they actually will get together, plan, uh, produce, and actually conduct a training for the rest of the group. So they'll be training training between 15 and 20 people. Right, right. So is that, and then there's a lot of teamwork that they're learning too. I mean, there's there's, there, there's so many aspects to this. It's not just the cooking and learning how to do mise en place and how to plan, but how to work with other people on complex tasks, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it really is complex the way this is put together. We, we've done this course a few times. Uh, we did it the first time. It was seven days. And we said, oh, we need to pack a lot of information in there. So we conducted actually some some content training. And then they had a lab. And they came back and did some more content training. And then they had a lab. They did two labs a day. And what we saw, based on some analysis, which we do a lot of analysis of the program, we saw a lot of cooking and not a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. So this year we flipped that a little bit. We said, okay, we're going to do one lab a day. That's it. And the lab is going to be purely focused on the healthy, hunger-free kids, foods that are a primary change this year, which is foods that are in, um, you know, fruits and vegetables, salads, dark green leafy vegetables, uh, legumes, and whole grains. Mm -hmm. We said those are the three areas we're going to focus on. And they come in and receive some training in that area, as well as uh, or spend some time learning about it 
So, for example, they might take, you know, 30 or 45-minute lecture, demonstration, hands-on activity on handling pasta, and then they go in the lab and they actually produce an entire meal. Each team makes four menu items. Mm-hmm. And, and who are the instructors? Well, the chefs, local chefs we've recruited and, uh, and quite frankly, done a lot of training with uh, because uh, I don't know about you, but most of the time when you meet a chef, they, they are all about how do I, you know, make your food better? Mm-hmm. And we really needed chefs to come in and say, okay, how do I help you make your food better? Right. It was a different, it was a little bit of a mind bender. Now, being a chef, I can say that, that we're all about, you know, making food better and making everything perfect. But the reality is that in the school nutrition environment, with the parameters that we face with nutrition and health and time and equipment, and quite frankly, our customer, uh, we really have to be pretty focused on how we're going to change that food. So we brought chefs, we recruited chefs through the Restaurant Association and through our personal contacts with the school nutrition folks in the state and uh, personal contacts I had over the years with my years in culinary school and management. And uh, we brought them in and interviewed them and had them conduct a, a training for us to actually demonstrate their training skills and then taught them exactly what we're going to have them teach. And the, the difference is, I think, with this camp and uh, some of the other camps that are out there is that the chefs don't run it really we run it. MSDE runs it. We control the content as far as what type of nutritional messages are being given to the participants, as well as the form and the function, so that it really does um, maximize the quality of learning that's going on. Um, a great example is that you know the chefs might come in and say, "Oh, I can do a great knife demo, and I can you know show you how to cut a food really quickly and hold the knife correctly." And and we look at that and say, "Okay, so let's identify." three components of knife handling that are important. Not 15 or 20, mm-hmm. but three. And we say, okay, chef, here are the three we want you to teach because you've got this great expertise and then you bring your own little flair and your style and your, your stories, quite frankly, because they have a lot of those. Right. And um, they bring that to it and they make it come alive. But we're really monitoring and building that content because the reality is uh, I can talk about any subject matter I'm an expert on for hours. And we're asking the chefs to be concise, uh, very focused, and very uh, appropriate for the audience. Yeah, and that last thing you said about appropriate, that, that really is key. Because I, I, we've seen with a lot of really you know, well-meaning, energetic efforts of professional chefs moving into schools that there can be this disconnect between their culture, their, their, their audience, their, their clientele, and what the needs are in a um, school food service setting. So you're, you're really bridging that gap in the way that you structure the curriculum and you prepare your chef instructors. Absolutely. And, you know, you think uh, we, we, I like to tell the story about the chefs and come into the food, the approach, and what can I, the um, approach of what can I add to the food to make it better? Mm-hmm. And uh, in our program, we're kind of the opposite. We're like, well, what do we take away from the food? You know, the sodium, right. the fat, the, <laughs> the trans fats, what do we take away from the food to make it better? So you've got to kind of bridge those two things. Right. right. And, uh, you know, let the chefs use their expertise when it comes to the cutting techniques and the fr- using fresh herbs and maximizing flavor and controlling the cooking process so that we're, you know, producing a product that's really a top quality when it's being served on the line. Right, right. But, you know, looking at all the, the pictures that you shared with me of your program, um, you're saying there's a lot of taking away and simplifying, but the, the output, you know, of your trainees, it doesn't look dumbed down at all. It's beautiful, delicious looking yeah. food, and it's beautifully plated. So there, there's a lot, I think, that the chefs are passing on to trainees about, about 
helping people eat with their eyes first and, and all of that, all of that important stuff. Sure, sure. You know, purely uh, presentation is, is really important. Absolutely. And I, and I see that in, in, in the pics. So um, how is this program funded, Stu? Well, every state uh, in the country received funds to support implementation of the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act when that was passed in uh, 2010. Uh, some of those funds we identified and we looked at and said, well, how can we help these foods be accepted? Well, we know we accept food when it's good quality. So if we want to introduce new foods, for example, kale or broccoli or asparagus or any of these really good quality foods, they need to be of really good quality. And the only way to do that is to train our staff. So we use some of those funds to identify um, this, to develop this program and implement it across the state. Right, right. And um, is it, you know, you're only in year three now, and, the, and I guess the first year, or actually the first year was... was you say technically it's been three years, but you started small with a pilot. Was that four years ago or three years ago? Uh, that was, uh, well, it was four years ago we started with a pilot. Okay. We started a pilot project and then uh, with a, a grant from USDA that I wrote uh, with my team, um, a team nutrition grant. Right. And right. it was with four counties, and we developed the seven-day boot camp. Right. So that was really a testing uh time for us to see if the curriculum worked, what the focus of the class would be, and how to build it so it was effective. Right. So it sounds like over this time, from what you're telling me, that your, your curriculum and your methodology has, has changed, um, and you're, you're still refining it. Absolutely. Yeah. And as always does with good, good any program, you have to keep right, right. assessing so, what worked. Yeah. Is it too early to talk about outcomes? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, someone in my office this morning asked me this question. They said, how many of the recipes do you think they're actually doing in the schools uh, when you introduce them in the boot camp? And it was funny because that's one question we didn't ask when we assessed it, and we certainly are going to ask it this year. Last year, we developed a recipe book. There's about maybe 100 or so recipes in there. They're from a variety of sources, everywhere from USDA to um, other healthy eating cuisines. And we, of course, had done nutritional analysis in the recipe and identified how it met the meal pattern. Um, But what happened was when the participants went back to the school system, they incorporated many of those items. And this year, when we asked the participants, are any of you roasting vegetables in your schools? I would say that in most of the boot camps, half the people in the, in the group said, we're roasting vegetables. Right. As opposed now, roasting to... vegetables is what we taught last year. Right. And they say, we're using that recipe you taught last year. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's the, the biggest things we see coming out of the boot camp are probably four. Roasting vegetables is a big one. Everyone's roasting vegetables. Yeah. Blanching vegetables, also huge. A lot of the folks were providing, you know, a raw vegetable, uh, like a broccoli or a cauliflower or carrots on their salad bar. Now they're doing a blanched product because it looks better, holds better, and uh, and tastes better. Right, right. And we'll talk about this more when we, when we get Jeff and Becky on the phone, but, but yes. from what I understand from your presentation, a lot of these folks are coming to training without even that much experience in vegetable cookery. They, they really are starting from, from the beginning. Yeah, they are. I mean, we'll just think about it this way. Uh, in school nutrition program, what has been our primary focus for the last 10 years? It has been about regulations. Mm-hmm. It has been about how do I fill out a production record, make sure the portion size is accurate, make sure the nutrients are the same, and make sure that I am doing everything exactly the way I'm supposed to without changing a thing. And so we haven't spent a lot of time training anything but those areas, and food safety, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a, a little bit of a switch, and we're saying, okay, now we want to train these staff 
in advance, give them the skills they need to prepare the items so that their food service directors can change the menu items. It's a reverse approach from most places. We'll say, we're going to write a new menu item and then train our staff. What we're saying as a state agency, okay, we have the, the resources and the techniques and the staff to train your staff, then you can be feel free as a food service director to adjust your menu so you can start incorporating some of these menu items. Right, right. And treating food more like food and and something we haven't talked about, but I know it's it's critical is this this, um, enhanced scratch cooking, their capability to do it is is enabling districts to uh, do more farm to school purchasing. They're getting more fresh stuff that they can actually work with. Absolutely. We uh, cut up a lot of uh, butternut squash and uh, cantaloupe that happened to be in season this time of year uh, from the, in the areas we were. And the folks were learning that you can roast the butternut squash. They had no idea that can happen. Right. You can get a local one that's pre-cut to save you time and use, like you said, a speed scratch method that basically has you using the same process where you take that product and roast it off and you have a really high quality, basically fresh product. Right, right. Well, Stu, it's very exciting, and I understand that other cities and states are turning to you now for guidance on cafeteria uh, training. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, we've had inquiries from uh, half a dozen states, some of which we provided our curriculum to and our recipes, uh, which are not our recipes. They're from other states that Mm -hmm. we've uh, borrowed. Uh, I don't think you should reinvent the wheel with some of these projects, and we're more than willing to share this type of information with anyone who's interested within the the Child Nutrition Program. Great. Well, I'm happy to help you get the word out. Thank uh, you. I've been speaking with Stuart Idell of the Maryland Department of Education about the culinary boot camps he directs for Maryland school food service workers, people who sign up for five days of intensive training in scratch cooking and a host of other skills they need to take leadership when they return home to the workplace. Thank you so much, Stu. Thank you, Laura. After station break, we'll get behind the scenes of a boot camp with Jeffrey Prue and Becky Anderson of Washington County, Maryland. You are listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. Do not go away. White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. to Inside School Food. Today we are looking at how Maryland is tackling the challenge of bringing school food service up to speed on what they need to know to prepare fresh cooked meals that students will love and that qualify for reimbursement under the new meal pattern. Uh, Maryland's pioneer culinary boot camps now in their uh, third year are a role model for other efforts across the country. I have on the line now two folks from Washington County, uh, Jeff Prue, Supervisor of Food and Nutrition Services for the Washington County Public Schools, um, is an MBA with a background in hotel food service management. 
Um, Jeff took his first job as a school food service director 12 years ago. Uh, Becky Anderson is a cafeteria manager for Smithburg Public Schools uh, in Washington County, where she supervises 22 staff in five schools. Becky is a third-generation school food service professional serving in both her mother's and her grandmother's footsteps. So she has some really interesting historical perspective to share. Uh, Jeff and Becky, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Laura. How are you? All right. Um, Jeff, let's, let's start with you. Uh, where is Washington County? So we are in uh, western Maryland, uh, about 60 miles north and west of uh, Baltimore and Washington, D.C. Okay. And um, it's, uh, so it's, it's mainly, a, mainly a rural area, right? It is. So the center county, seat, the city of Hagerstown, is, uh, is fairly urban. So you have uh, some of the situations that you'd have in a normal ur- urban uh, school system, uh, high poverty uh, low-income type scenarios, but then as you get out in, into the areas of the county, we're very rural with lots of farms and orchards. Right, right. And what's your free and reduced rate? Uh, countywide, we're at 48 percent. Okay, all right. So you and Stu sent me a detailed schedule for a five-day boot camp that packs in a dizzying amount of learning. You've got workshops about mise en place, herbs and spices 101, basic cookery techniques for grains and pulses, vegetables, salads, tons of knife cut practice lecture demo and practice on a whole bunch of recipes, a big spectrum, um, segments about nutrition and meal pattern compliance, conducting student tastings, and so much more. I, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface here. I, I mean, what does a single day in the life of a boot camp look like? Well, it's, it's clearly is action-packed. So, you know, the staff come in in the morning and, you know, it, it's sort of preparation and there's homework. I mean, so they've, they've prepared from the night before items that uh, they need to have ready moving one day into the next. And, uh, you know, lecture time is, is minimal. I mean, really, it, it's intended to be hands-on, to really get, get the staff really thinking and, and, and working in a manner like a chef. And, and so you want them to learn the skills uh, with limited lecture time because that's not really how – uh, we found the school food service folks learn. They really are hands-on doers. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot up on your feet, eight hours, continually moving, but, which is really like the workplace every day. Right, right. And, and how do you choose who is going to participate? Well, we primarily look for volunteers. We, we started, this is uh, our third year within the boot camp. We've actually run some ourselves in addition to uh, what we've done with the state of Maryland. And so we, we've run all of our supervisors now. Our managers, our satellite leaders have all gone through uh, the boot camp program. So now we're at a point where we're taking volunteers. We're looking deeper into our team uh, and really looking at those folks that want to excel, want to do more, want to do better, uh, are looking for additional training so that they can uh, take the next step and leave uh, the spot of, of line staff, of cashier, of server, and move on to be satellite leaders and, and, and managers. So. Uh, really, we've got real strong active participants at this point. Right, right. You're most motivated folks. And, and, and what kind of skills does your typical trainee start out with? You know, it's varied, but any more, what we're seeing is we're, we're, as we're going deeper into the field, we're not coming forward with a lot of skills. So some of the staff we sent this year, um, we had home cooks, and we had, uh, we had someone who came to us from a manufacturing background. So food was not really their, uh, their career path and their expertise and where they really uh, knew where they were coming from. So mm-hmm. um, 
you know, we've had folks go through boot camp who have just clearly said, I don't even cook at home. So this is, this is starting from ground zero. Right, right. So they're, they're holding it, for instance, a chef night for the first time. Right. So it's intimidating. I mean, if you've not held a tenant chef knife uh, in your hand and, and learned how to yield it and hold it properly, um, it's daunting. And so as we, as we opened trainings at the very beginning and the onset uh, three years ago, you know, we provided the, the metal chain mail uh, gloves. I refer to them as the Sir Lancelot gloves because mm-hmm. uh, it looks like something a knight would wear uh, to protect themselves in sword play. And, and, and the staff shied away from them. They really just didn't want to use um, that type of, of equipment as that type of safety equipment, but really they didn't need it. You know, they took their time, they learned the skills, uh, yeah, a few nicks and cuts from time to time, but generally speaking, the staff have respected the tools, used them appropriately, and, and moved forward. And, and by day two and day three, the, the level of knife skills has increased you know, two and three times. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, so Becky, um, it, it sounds like this is a pretty challenging experience for um, participants. Do you, would you say that, that you and your, your staff members have worked pretty hard in boot camp? Oh, yes, ma'am. It's a packed day, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it's a very packed day. It's very full from beginning to end. Right, right. But you told me that people are having fun, too. Are they? Yes, ma'am. What's fun about the experience? Yeah. Well, the way it's set up and designed they're not it, it it gives a chance for friendship and communication you know between the two and and Stu is an excellent teacher and he he tells a lot of stories and gets people really motivated mm-hmm. he's a very motivated person and um you know, it just gets everybody more relaxed when they can go in and have a good time and carry on and know that everyone's going to make mistakes, but that's how we learn. Right, right. And and, and then when people go back home, there, there's that kind of bonding that they've shared in boot camp, which I, does that carry them through back in the home kitchen? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, when you work, because they always split up the counties. They don't let you work with your present county. They, they split them up. And it... it it's nice to talk to other people from other schools and other uh, places where they work, you know, like the Maryland School for Deaf was there this year and different counties from different places. So it's it's nice to work with the other people and know, you know, you get you strike up a conversation as to how well they do and what do they do at their sites and right, it just right. makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, when when you presented about the program at ANC, you told this fabulous story that really illustrated how well this this group uh, dynamic that Becky's talking about really can can come into play. You, you you said that a fish broker came in with product samples in the middle of a boot camp. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, so you know during our first boot camp, this was really you know sort of the brainchild. Uh, it was a, it was actually was under a, a team nutrition grant. Uh, and we were working through that with, with Stu and the State Department of Ed. And um, in the middle of, of the boot camp, probably on the third or fourth day, um, a broker came in who had just picked up a new line of fish and, and walked in the door with a few cases of products, some different um, both breaded and unbreaded uh, fillets. And we're, they were looking for some recipe ideas and some things that, that kids would, uh, would take to. So we, we basically closed up the kitchen. Uh, and closed up the lab we were in and said, all right, guys, we're going we're gonna to go off script here, and we're going to give you an opportunity to, to just play. And so everything now in the kitchen is open. Every product is available to you. Um, every ingredient is open. And just 
get your creative juices going and, and, and play. And they came up with all manner of different products and, and fruit chutneys and salsas and things, uh, you know, fish tacos and different fillets, uh, both roasted and, and sautéed. And, you know, we really just had a lot of fun. And it really showed how quickly the staff can learn the basic techniques and the cre- creativity that really is being a chef that when you give them the opportunity and you take the chains off, you can let them go. Right. Now, as it relates to school meals, we can't always do that. We've got to keep them a little bit more focused. We have to have those set recipes. But when it comes to actually doing development, this is when you provide this training, the staff can do it for you. Right, right. And, and that goes back to what Becky was saying about having a good time also. You know, cooking Absolutely. is creative. So we all I was actually well. a participant in that class, and I know which one he's speaking of. Mm-hmm. And, and it was good. It was competitive, but we all had a good time seeing what every other team did as opposed to what we did. Right. It was it was nice. It was it was it was just different. Yeah, yeah. From great. what we had been doing the couple days. Yeah, yeah. So so Becky, I, I really had fun talking to you last week. We we both remember the days when women really cooked for us at school and I say it really was women back in those days. So that would be in the sixties. And remember we reminisced in particular about the house baked bread. But in your case, it was one woman in a small rural school in Washington County, and that woman was your grandmother. What do you remember yes, her making ma'am. back then? Oh, I can remember her standing at the, the uh, we had stoves then and uh, frying chicken, getting in pieces of raw chicken and frying it, um, taking the meat off the bone for the turkey dinner day, um, making the homemade rolls, homemade spaghetti sauce, cooking the, the noodles on the stovetop. You know, it was, like I said, it was a small rural school, but I was fortunate enough that she was my grandmother and I went to school there. Right. So I got to see her every day, you know, in that aspect. Yeah. It yeah. was it was nice. And what you said to me was back then, and this is how I remember it too, there was no such thing as processed food in school, period. No. Yeah. No. I, yeah, and my Everything school, the only was... processed food was, the, you know, the, the ice cream that you had to pay extra for. Um, everything else right. the ladies made. Yeah. So over your career in schools, which is about 25 years now, right? Um, And your mom's career. Yeah, yeah. And your mom's. So you saw food service get farther and farther away from your grandmother's craft as more food came in a box, just heat and serve. But in Washington County, it's what you're saying. It's circling back, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So in in your um, district, what are your cooks now able to make from scratch? Of the taco meat, the macaroni and cheese baked ziti. Um, We're hoping to get uh, one of their favorites back is spaghetti. I would like to see spaghetti introduced back into the menu Mm -hmm. with meat sauce or marinara, either one. Um, We're going to have roast beefs this year that we're actually going to roast beef and have on this uh, a sandwich on the menu every week for the older kids and uh, well, it's, it's just numerous things. The salads, mm-hmm. you know, they're all made from fresh produce that's coming in, and there's so much more that's offered on a day-to-day basis as far as fresh produce goes. Right, right. And, and Jeff, uh, tell me a little bit about the, the farm-to-school piece of this. Becky's talking about more fresh produce. Has the scratch cooking in Washington County enabled you to ramp up your local purchasing? Well, it has. And so actually we have a, a, a request for proposal on the street right now, and those responses are due back to us um, uh, Wednesday of this week. And so what we're hoping to do really is to, now that we're providing this training to our staff, is, is obtain the products locally uh, to support our local community and do all that 
processing and production here as opposed to letting it be done uh, somewhere else across the country. And so uh, it allows us to uh, provide more labor time to our staff. So mm-hmm. it, it, it infuses sort of the local economy at the same time where, you know, we're using our federal reimbursement dollars. We're procuring food locally. We're providing more labor time to our staff, which, of course, means more income to them, mm-hmm. which is then more income they're going to turn over into the local economy. So it, we're trying to really be catalysts, um, you know, for the local economy and sort of jump start the local economy uh, and through an economic development right, perspective. Right, right, right. So there's uh, asked... Which is just a sidebar to all this. Right, of course. Well, sidebar or critical? I, I, I find it so exciting. And, and Becky, well, you, you talked both. about the kind of change in the culture. You, you, you refer to your staff as your girls very affectionately. And, and yes, we, we talked about how different they feel about what they're doing now. Can you, can you tell us a little about that? I think so. They're, I think they take more pride in what they do they prepare every day because it's hands-on. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just get dumped out of a bag and heated. I mean, anybody can heat anything up, regardless of what technique you use to do it. But to actually have to chop the onions and the peppers and the tomatoes or whatever the recipe calls for and get that stuff item, you know, prepared ahead of time to then process the recipe from... It just it gives them more pride. It gives me more pride. Yeah. When I wake up every day and come to work, I feel better about everything that we're going to do that day. Right. Right. As opposed to, you know, and and the kids, I think it'll take a while for them to to realize that, oh hey, did you get that in the cafeteria? Well, maybe I'll go get some of that, because they'll start seeing the improvement and mm-hmm. in, in the overall look of everything. Because it just is so much nicer when you make it from fresh as opposed to, you right, know, right. Pr- processed foods. And no doubt that is how your grandmother felt back in the 1960s. Oh, I'm sure. She terribly took a lot of pride in her work. Right. Unfortunately, right. I didn't spend a whole lot of time with her, but, um, yeah. And then my mom took over for her for a while. She worked in the school food service, too, for a while. Right, right. Well, it's a proud tradition. Um, so Becky and Jeff, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I, I'm really thrilled you could join us today, and uh, I look forward to seeing how your program gr- grows. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Uh, you have been listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. I am Laura Stanley. Today's episode was about the cutting-edge culinary boot camps for school food service workers in Maryland and how training begets better tasting, healthier food, and a stronger local economy. Next week, Inside School Food will be traveling abroad, that is figuratively speaking, in an exploration of of school lunch around the world, and I hope you will join us for an eye-opening trip. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.